All right, it says we live, so I guess that means we're live. Hey, good. This is Brent Leary here. It is the beginning of a week. It's still uh, it's a holiday. It's uh, we're we're celebrating Fourth of July. Yeah, the Fifth of July, right? So, uh, this is the BBC, as I like to call it. Uh, not the folks over in England, although they they cool. Uh, this is the Brent <laughs> Broadcasting Channel, <laughs> and we're live from Stockbridge, Georgia. But yep. really, this is this is so cool because with me today, right now is somebody I've been knowing, at least musically, since the early to mid-80s. Daddy-o yeah, and, from and, Pets and, Sonic, and, man. And, um, <laughs> Thank you. And we knew each other since. Well, you met me right after I moved to Atlanta, so you met me around 2007, 2008, like right in there. Yeah. yeah. I don't even know how it happened, but I ended up moderating a panel. Yes. It was it was uh it was uh when I was doing things with the Atlanta Tribune. Right. And we were doing one of our events at Georgia Tech and somehow I I I got you on a panel <laughs> talking about technology. Yes. And yes. uh I, I was like, "Man, this guy is great because most people are probably going to come at him talking about music, of course, you know, right. with his background, but he was as up to date on technology as anybody in that room. So I appreciate I appreciate you, bro. Man, it's good to see you, and um, thank you for taking some time. I know you're busy, and I I had this like whole uh, you know I was gonna bust out this. So oh, this goes back the to Sally my... <laughs> the, the Sally twelve inch. That's right. I, this goes back to my college DJ years. Wow! Was... Wow. It was like eighty eight or something like that. So it was a long yeah, Sally time. Was, yeah, Sally was about eighty eight. It was around there because that was the uh, that was the Info Gear album. So that was eighty eight, which yes. which I argue with my peers. Um, I say the best year in hip hop, but just just me. Eighty eight. Uh, you know That's what? what I, I why am I not surprised by that? Because didn't it take some a, a nation of millions to? Uh, oh yeah, to keep us down. Come out in eighty eight. Yeah, yeah. It was a lot of good stuff in eighty eight. A lot of good stuff in eighty eight. Yeah, man. But you know what? I'm not gonna keep you with you know, just pigeonhole you to be stuck in the eighties talking about stuff because <laughs> because this morning, so I you know, I'm checking out what's on all the social networks and things. Right. So this morning, this is what I, I was met with this morning. Let me let me do let me just do this. This is DJ Grand Wizard, Grand Imperial, Grand of them all, DJ Prince Paul, Brand New Step Society. Some of y'all waiting on detox. Y'all thought Wise was a beatbox. Y'all thought we broke up. But now y'all getting up. Click clack, snitch back, call that what you want, but it's just rap. I heard on the street, bring the band back. Cross my heart, brought the band back. So we here now, where your man's at, the one who was laughing on the internet, but now we smash on the internet, class on the internet, we just say set, hands in the air if you love life, shouting out Philly cause they love bikes, we in Brooklyn most of the time, and the host of the time, by the scenes with a drum set, Bobby Simmons on iHeartRadio, Prince Paul on the new Chris Rock show, gamble gamble, bet bet, playing 928, it ain't hit that. You know a girl got a black and yellow house when we play, she come out cause she eat, sleep, and shit stack. Some of y'all waiting on detox. Y'all thought wise was a beatbox. Y'all thought we broke up. But now y'all giving up. But now y'all giving up. But now y'all giving up. Man. <laughs> okay, <laughs> uh, you talk about making somebody's morning. That sounded so good, and it was Thank you, really, sir. really good to see the crew together. Because you guys got started what in the early eighties? Yeah, I think we put. I think me and Delight put everything together starting around eighty two, and then um the first record was eighty five. Technically, because the first yeah, Jesse said eighty five, first album eighty six. So yeah, yeah. So we talking eighty two, and, and and it's twenty twenty one, thirty nine yeah. years. Oh yeah. Did you, in your wildest imaginations, think you would be doing that with the crew in twenty twenty one when you were your first kicking this thing off almost forty years ago? I I did, I did. I always oh. tell people 
so the light and I form stetsonic. And when we, I, 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 this is the way I say it. We call it hip hop because they call it hip hop. What I mean by that is I mean the guys in the Bronx that basically created it. What we thought we were doing and still basically do, we thought we was an extension of the black music that came before us. That's all mm -hmm. we thought. We thought, you know, Stevie Wonder sings, somebody else plays a horn, somebody else plays a keyboard, somebody else is a choir, somebody else is a three-man group. And although we were rappers, we just thought we was an extension of the black music that came before us. So just like our heroes didn't quit, we never really thought about quitting, which is why I made sure with the first single that we were coming back with, I made sure that I, 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 certain things are in the lyrics on purpose, you know, mm -hmm. that y'all thought we broke up. All of that's in the lyrics on purpose because, you know, we never broke up. Somebody, you know, Wikipedia can be, as you know, as a tech guy, Wikipedia can be put together by anybody. And somebody had put together, it's, it's fixed now, but somebody had put together, we broke up and we disbanded and mm -hmm. all type of kooky things, reasons of why we disbanded. I'm like, that it was all not true. Um, you know, we did go off to do individual things, but we never broke up. So, um, yeah, I mean, a long answer to a short question. But, yeah, I, I've always thought that music was going to be for the rest of my life. Now, you know, things did take a bunch of twists and turns. And I got, you know, I felt totally in love with technology, which I still am. So, you know, still try to, you know, play in that space as much as I can. But um, never, never thought I would stop rapping. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Matter of fact, I think I saw uh, one of your interviews on YouTube where you say that you say you, you feel like you're better than you've ever been when it comes. Oh, I to know that. I am. I totally know I am. Because when I so 2016, I started making these records again, like kind of, you know, physically making records again. And then um, when I did that, like I tell everybody, you know, the two things that I thought about, the two people that I thought about was Miles Davis and and Jimi Hendrix. And I just thought, if Miles was here, would he tell somebody, man, just go listen to Bitches Brew. You'll hear what I'm about. Or would he do something new? And the proof is he wouldn't because the last person, last producer that made an album on Miles Davis was Easy Moby, a hip hop producer. Mm -hmm. You know, a guy who produced Tupac, Biggie, you know, all, all of that. So, you know, he already was pushing the envelope forward. And I feel like Jimmy would be the same way if he had lived. You know, he would just do some, he wouldn't say, hey, go listen to Purple Haze. You know, he would do something new. And so I thought about it long and hard between 2015 and 2016 and said, you know, like, what am I doing? Not, not, not what am I doing? I think this is important. Not what am I doing to keep the lights on, um, but what am I doing with my talent? And I thought about it. And I said, man, if I don't rap anymore, right, if I just stop rapping, all they're going to know me for, all people will know me for is the old stuff. It's going to evolve. And that was way before some of the people that that are big now were big. It's going to evolve. And I'm going to be stuck in a little bubble of like, I don't know, 86 to like 91. And and that's not bad. Nothing is bad about that. It's good to have classics. It's great to 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 be an artist and know that there's at least one classic song that people love. That's a great, great, great feeling. But as a rapper, I'm like, I'm going to get pushed to the back of the bus, you know, to be like the old man in the geriatric bus. And I didn't <laughs> want to be that. Like, I just didn't want to be that. I, I, I know I can't do what Young Thug does. I know I can't do what Rick Ross does. The younger guys, they're going to do what they do. But I, I, I thought there's got to be um, some line for me. Like, right? There's got to be some opening for me. And so, you know, I took... I took my time and I just studied it and trial and error. I figured it out. And I know that there's a, a lane for classic hip hop. And when I was ready, I presented it to Stetson Sonic and was just like, look, man, this is, this is a road that we could take, you know? And, um, I'm glad I'm, I'm real proud of the guys. Cause you know, they picked up the mantle. They was like, all right, they will see where you're going with it. Like, you know, just you show us what you want to do. I, I showed them. And then now, Man, what they writing right now is crazy, man. <laughs> like I, I heard the light just kicked something to me the other day because he wants to do, uh, um, you know, we always did some message music, 
And so he wants to do uh, interpolation of the um, Gamble and Huff OJ's message in the music. Mm-hmm. And um, he he let me hit a rhyme. It was crazy. Like, it's, it's crazy. And Wise's rhyme is crazy. I'm like, oh, all right, I got to step up to the plate and keep up with these guys. Well, so was it like just the getting back on the bike again after all those years? Of- Not at all. It was hard. It's hard. Okay. And I say that to anybody, you know, that um, that comes from our era that wants to like now make songs and stuff. It's not easy, but it's not impossible. So mm. you got to study. It's just like, I mean, let's think about let's think about the world that you that you play in all day. Brent, if somebody just wanted to get into technology, you can't just get into technology. Right. You got to figure it out. You got to know where you're placed. If it's software. Um, if it's possibly hardware, which a lot of us don't do, but if it's hardware, um, even if it's marketing for tech, you got to kind of know, you know, what happened before you, what's going on now, who the players in the space are, um, whether there's a room, you know, think about developing an app right now. You got to think about where there's room to develop that app. You just can't come out and say, oh man, you know, I'm going to do this app and, you know, it's going to do, you know. I never forget explaining to my daughter how advanced Google Lens was because she Mm -hmm. was like, I'm going to make an app and I'm going to be able to point my camera and know what it is. And I said, yeah, there's already one that's doing it. And she says, what? I said, it's right there on your phone in your picture thing. And I just showed her what lens does and pulled up a car. She says, wow, this is, but you, you know, you got to know the space. I always tell people in technology, when I talk to them, I said, look up, just Google the word Google grave, the two words Google graveyard. And mm-hmm. it, it will show you all of these, some which were fantastic <laughs> projects. Because I, I thought that Google Wave was going to be the thing, period. Oh. I, hey, look, I ain't going to front. I thought that there was some stuff to that, too. Yeah. You know, and I said, look at the Google graveyard. I mean, Apple won't put up a graveyard, right? But probably somebody <laughs> even did an Apple graveyard. But, you know, people have been trying to create apps forever. And and sometimes even companies like Google who have a gazillion dollars make things that just don't work, you know, with mm-hmm. the people. And so I'm saying all that to say I really feel like it's got to be a trial and error thing if, you're, uh, if you are a classic rapper, a classic hip-hop artist. You know, if you're brand new, you could kind of just jump out there, you know, and do some of the things that these guys are doing. All you got to do is be young enough and, and daring enough. But for us, it's it's not that easy. You know, once you get on the bike now and you ride for a little while, now you say, oh, I remember. Oh, I do remember I used to do this. Oh, I remember I used to switch <laughs> the first gear going up. The um, muscles start coming back. Exactly. <laughs> the muscles start coming back. But, yeah, it, it, it does take it does take some work. Let me ask you this, and, and then I'm going to, it's kind of couched in this question by my buddy, Alan Berkson, who, who's from up, well, Alan, tell me what part of New York you're from. Put it in the comments section. I know he's from up there somewhere. Um, let's say that you're talking to one of the old school folks who do want to get back into it. Right. What is the hardest part? Is it getting back into the production aspects of putting a song together? Is it going through what you might need to to build an audience and using these social tools to kind of promote and then yeah and, and then i'm going to throw where do you see things like a TikTok or like you know these newer forms of social media that are geared towards building an audience how do you integrate how do you go about using that as well but talk to your old school partners and say you know if you really are interested or you're really focused on doing this here here are the steps here the the kind of the production level stuff, which is the newer technology, but also here's how to make sure people get it, hear it, and you're able to build an audience from that that will hopefully get you to you know making some really good monetization off this stuff. Well, this is this is what I feel. I feel like um, one thing is the first step. I really feel solidly is acceptance because mm-hmm. what i find with my peers sadly but true is that what 
what what what the art form has become right now, they don't really accept it. So, and they may have there is some a little validity to that, right? I even I got a, one of my best friends always says they shouldn't even call it what they're doing now hip hop. They should call it something else. And now, some, let me let me let me get in there just for a second, right? So there's the that's kind of like the traditional get off my lawn. Right. It's not as good as when I did it back in my era. Right. Versus there are some validity, like some of this, you know, there seems to be a certain particular sound that has taken over hip hop. Right. right. And there's not as much creativity. And well, I shouldn't say that. It doesn't, it feels like you're, there's not as many styles. I think it you can say like there's not as much creativity. You can say that. Okay. Okay. I mean, that's proven through, 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 through laptop producing. That's proven. So. You you may not need you may not need as much, um, but I think acceptance right because it is evolution whether we want to believe Young Thug and everybody else that comes along with that group is evolution or not it is evolution it did evolve into that um but some people might say it evolved backwards you know that that's another argument right but it is evolution so I think that the first step is acceptance and what I mean by that is accepting that they are who they are and they can do what they do right. Then you figure out who you are. And that's the hard part. The mm. hard part is where does daddy owe, or, you know, it just impertin you know, pertinent to the conversation, where does that sonic fit in, right? There's all this other music. There's the, there's the kind of mid-level, you know, stuff. Buster's still making records, but he's not as old as up. And, and, then, and then there's the Pooh Shiesty and the T Grizzly and, 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 and the YBN Cordae you know, the, the newer, the really newer guys. And then there's going to be another guy that comes around the corner tomorrow with something, right? Because Gucci Man just signed a whole bunch of people and all that. So where does Stetsasonic fit in? And I always liken it to a barbecue. Because hmm. at a barbecue, at a family barbecue, there's a bunch of people. And which uncle are you at the barbecue? That's the real <laughs> question, right? Are you the uncle that they, that they get drunk take his money and make him dance and tell old jokes and they make fun of, are you the uncle that they really, really respect? And even though they got on their little Balenciaga and all that, when you come in the barbecue and you got your gaiters on and your pants are tailor-made, your watch ain't their watch because it's a Rolex with a leather band. It's not that <laughs> shiny stuff. They still respect you and say, man, I got it. I wish, you know, then they start saying, I wish when I get that age that I could be that cool. Or I could be that. And then, and you still know. So you still know their music. You still know what they listen to. I listen to everything at least once. Mm -hmm. After that, it really depends on what it is. So if you J. Cole, you get you get repeated play. Sometimes if you're somebody else, you might not get repeated play. But I listen to it. I hear what you're doing. I see who you're doing features with. I see what y'all are doing. But I know who I am. And then it's an issue of understanding it from let's just put it in a book perspective if there was a such thing as one of them doing a one of the new guys doing an autobiography right now there's not enough material i mean they could do it but it's i mean what are they talking about the last two years of their life <laughs> right the last three years of their life and then you start figuring out man i got stuff to say so that that to me is the development of all of that the production part is nowhere near as hard as anybody might think because of who you are. They're going to give you crazy heat. Mm. I sit with a ton of tracks all the time. That's just hot because I'm daddy. Or I'm being real honest. They say, hey, man, you know, you one of my heroes. You one of my idols, man. You know, hit, hit. And they give you heat. So the production part is not that hard. You don't even have to try to figure. I'm a producer and I, I know what to do. And I do make a, a few records, but I don't make a lot. Like on the Newstead album, I don't think I'm going to have a record on there. My last album, actually my present album that I have out right now, my Go to Antidote, I did no tracks on there. The one that's coming up, I got three tracks on there. But even when I have tracks on my album, it's always a surprise to me. I forget that I made the stuff. And then when I, when I, when I, when I put it in sequence, I said, oh, wow, I did that record too. Um, but the, the, the production part is, is nowhere near as hard as anybody would think, because these guys right now, um, a lot of these producers that are out here, young and, you know, younger than us, they all pretty much younger than us, but young and in that th kind of 30, 40 range, 
they mm-hmm. are just willing to just pretty much hand you the store. All you got to do is talk to them. Um, so that <laughs> I don't that part is that part is not hard at all. And then the somebody's other thing, asking, somebody's asking which uncle are you at the barbecue, by the way. I'm I'm the cool I'm the coolest uncle at the barbecue. I might change I might change outfits in the middle. <laughs> you know, by the time by the time they bring out that second jug of lemonade, I might have on different clothes. You know, um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's that it's just figuring out who you are, right? And then, you know, from a very realistic perspective, and you know, kind of, you know, the the down home to the grit, we got to re- recognize that we're teachers. And so that's the other thing is like, you're going to be the teacher. So what are you teaching? Because you're teaching it regardless. It doesn't matter. They're learning from what you do. You know, it's like your kids, you know, you, your kids pick up things. You don't even know they picked it up. Where you learn that from? I learned it from you, dad. Like what? Mm-hmm. You know, but it's something it, 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 I remember a guy telling a story one time. Um, um, Every time he said, every time he got in the car, he had a little kid. Kid was like under two years old. He would put him in the um, put him in the car seat in the back, and the little kid would always go mandu, mandu. Every time he's in the back, he's mandu. Every time the car stopped at a light, the little kid would go mandu, mandu, and he's trying to figure it out. He says one day he's driving the car, he's at a stoplight, and somebody kind of cuts him off, and he goes, "Come on, dude." And that's what the little <laughs> kid was saying the whole time. Nice. You know what I'm saying? So you're teaching regardless. And so the other issue is like, what are you teaching? What are you teaching? Not only to them as you see them, but also what are you teaching kind of through your, through your experience and, you know, putting out music or whatever else that you're doing. So I think, I think a lot of it, it just takes study to just kind of figure out who you are now, because who we are now is not who we were then. We are to our super fans, to our super fans, they they love us, period. But to audiences, one thing I learned from a guy named Kevin Porter that taught Stetsasonic how to perform on stage. He said, every time you perform, act like nobody knows you. I don't care if your record is quadruple platinum. Act like they don't know you at all. Go out there as hungry as you were if they didn't know you. And so that's the approach all the time, and especially for Stet. That's the entire band thinks that way. You know, that's why you see the Prince Paul projects are like, you might see something from Prince Paul. You're like, he made that too? Because it's like, nobody thinking about what I did the last time. Mm. What am I doing now that that can at least, at least get your attention? I mean, and we'll take it from there. Like, you know, from the point of the getting the attention, we'll take it from there. So what does success look like to you now compared to back in the day? I mean, you guys are very successful. You were successful doing your own music and producing others. But how does how do you measure success now compared to back in the day? Well, one of, one of the things I will say that's kind of weird. Um, it's just a a freaky turn of events. Most, uh, and I'll use this word just for people who think like that. Most old school. I don't call myself old school because I I came after Flash and them. Who I was with the other day too. I was with Flash the other day. I saw but, that um, picture on LinkedIn. Bro. Um, that was nice. um, most old school cats make more on stage now than we ever did. Wow. It's a weird turn of events. It's like we make more on stage now than we did in our heyday because of this like uber demand for like classic hip hop and, 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 and nostalgia and all of that. So that's what is the, that's kind of like the, the little grit and grind with me and my peers, because I've been trying to convince my peers to make records, but they, a lot of them, I mean, you know, now it's COVID it's opening up again, but you know, pre COVID and now post COVID, a lot of them make more money now than they made in the past. Maybe not on sales in particular. There's still royalties there. But um, but man, they go out on the road and they make a whole lot of money. So um, so success kind of looks a little different to to everybody because for them, success is just having a good tour and going out on a on a few dates. Some guys are going out only on the weekends, Thursday, Friday, Saturday or Friday, Saturday, Sunday, 
making anywhere between four and 10 grand a night. That ain't nothing to shake a stick at. That's sweet. Mm -mm. Mm. And most of them are making $7,500 to $14,000 a night. That's nice. That's nothing like Travis Scott and them. That's making three twenty dollars a night. Mm. Nothing like the, the, them. But that's sweet when you're our age and you could go out and, and make maybe forty grand on a weekend. Mm. 30 40 grand. So that's so that's that's the monetary kind of part of it. For me, success is acknowledgement. I, I, I'm one of those guys that feels like, and I hear this from my fans all the time, that the signing never got the due that they could have. Um, a, a lot of times when they talk about people, they don't mention you guys, all that. So success for me right now is exactly what happened to you this morning. That's exactly what I wanted to hear. Everybody, I wanted to know I don't care if it was two people, which is way more than two, but I don't care if it's two people when they either got up or they saw it late last night when I posted it, they looked at it and they said, man, that's my guys. man, That's my guy. And th these are guys that haven't made a record in over 30 years. So, mm. you know, the only thing you had to play from them was the three albums that we made, which the last one came out in 91. Right? So that's all you've had to play from them. Yeah, you might have had some solo daddy -o stuff. And I love my stuff. I love this daddy -o stuff. But I, I, I expect the Stetsasonic stuff to make that kind of impact. And it did. And there was a bunch of cats in comments saying, hey, so good to hear blended voices. So great to see a group. You know, all of that type of stuff. So that's what success is for me. Because I know that turns into something. What it turns into could be a world tour could be a, 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 a marshmallow commercial. Who knows, right? Because there's so many outlets nowadays. There's so many things going on. Um, and then the last part, to, the last part, to answer the last part of your last question, it's interesting because last night I was talking to one of my partners and he said, man, we need somebody young to run social media because the Run DMCs and a few other people are actually driving up crazy numbers on TikTok. And so I thought about it. I said, man, if I got some young people to get on top of it, I don't think it's the newer songs, but our older songs could, could, would kill. Mm. Any old school hip hop would kill on TikTok. Sally, come on. Some people don't like the way Sally walk and people walking around and doing some stuff. All of that stuff. Talking mm. all that jazz because it's just, you know, you can take that anywhere. So it's so much things that can be done with not only my band, but other classic hip-hop acts on TikTok that, you know, would actually just kill because the songs are better. No disrespect to anybody making songs now, but the songs are better. They're catchy. You know, you do a, yeah. a Run DMC, My Adidas TikTok, and that's it's going crazy. And, you know, Ye is with, you know, Yeezy's Adidas. Mm. So, you know, you can do that type of thing. So, yeah, my man was telling me last night, I was like, yeah, I mean, we need generate, I guess they call them Generation C now. I don't know, Z went out the window. But he said, yeah, we need somebody from Generation C to 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 take over, like, even my, you know, even, they saying, yo, daddy, yo, even your social media, we need a young person to take it over. So I think mm. um, I think we're I think we're dope. I just don't think that we're as, as savvy as them. They're digital natives. They know different things. They would listen to my song and tell me all types of different things. They would they would look at footage I have and tell me a whole different way to edit it than I would if I approached it. And, you know. Case in point is there's probably nobody that I work with that's not younger than me. Yeah, that makes that makes a ton of sense. Uh, yeah, you almost say like they learn from you, but in certain instances we learn oh, from these, you know, these newer generations because they're absolutely. they're natively they grew up eating, drinking, and sleeping this stuff where we had to kind of unlearn yep. some of the things that we did and to try get to into learn. it. Yeah. Yeah. I got a lot of questions from some folks. Uh, let me let me start throwing some of these questions out at you. My buddy uh, David Smith, do you think vinyl is still important for hip hop artists? Today? Oh, so that song we put it out on vinyl right before COVID. We sold out. I've been doing vinyl. Um, I, I I I partnered with a guy in Germany, um, and I've been doing vinyl. I did two Daddyo. Um, I did two Daddyo forty fives with him. I did the Stetsasonic forty five with him. This vinyl thing is so not only so important, but so cool 
and unique. And then now that like uh, 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 Barnes and Noble and um, a few other people, Urban Outfitters are starting to do the vinyl um, and doing those, you know, selling that. There's a company that does uh, more of them than not selling that little record player. Actually, my, my daughter, my wife bought me one for Christmas. Um, so, now, you know, vinyl is just cool now. It's like, you know, there's a lot of young kids that's into vinyl right now, too. So if you go into Urban Outfitters or, 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 or Barnes & Noble now, you'll see a lot of the albums that are on the charts right now in vinyl. Um, and, you know, granted, you know, you're not selling millions of copies of vinyl like before, but vinyl is like important is a low, a low word. Vinyl is essential right now. I mean, especially for cats like us. And that's why that, that 45 we put out on that song just sold out so quickly because, you know, there's a, there's a whole, there's even a whole new movement of, of DJs with, with, um, um, Bobito does it, um, Natasha Diggs, a whole bunch of DJs, Joe Fatal, that are just doing these whole 45 sets, right? And so um, making these 45s are essential because they are not only the DJs that love you, but they also play to the audiences that love you. So giving Joe Fatal two 45s of that, you know, it, it's such a win because the parties he's going to play People are listening to him because of him and because of his legacy of, at Live at the Barbecue and all of that. And, you know, there's a lot of us that, you know, DJ, I do a little bit myself. But, you know, so when people go to those parties, they looking to hear a lot of classics anyway. A 45 set is not a whole bunch of new records, right? It's a <laughs> bunch of Rufus Thomas and all of that. Man, and that same 45 set, he's playing Barry White, Rufus Thomas. Uh, 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 Aretha Franklin, and then a new stat joint that's bananas. <laughs> so, I'm telling you, vinyl is important, is a little word, it's, it's, it's above important. Hey, look, I don't know if you can see it, but I got my turntables, and that, that is vinyl. Oh, yeah, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> that's how it goes, and it sounds better. I mean, there's no, there's no, you can't even fudge that. It definitely <laughs> sounds better. You can't even fudge that. All right, here's one from my buddy Scott Wilder. How do you approach your on-stage performance? That's a, that is an interesting one because back in the day, you guys did it one way. Is it the same? How, well, it's, how it's, it's just the same. It's the same, but doper with that now because we always been we always prided ourselves as the kings of the stage, right? We always killed our live shows, but nowadays we have. First of all, we got new material. So we got this big show coming up August 28th at the Bandshell in Coney Island. That's the Sonic and Friends. It's an anniversary show. We are like ecstatic because we know we have new songs. And it may we may not do but one or two of them, but at least the way we're going to present them in the show is going to be bananas. Um, so no, it's, it's the same with us because we've always been a hip-hop band. So we've always been able to in, um, incorporate whatever we wanted in our show, right? So Wise, even though Wise raps now, you know, Wise, Wise been doing human beatbox forever. Um, you know, we have Prince Paul on the turntables, you know, we got somebody playing samples and all of that type of stuff and a drummer. So we, um, we've always, it's always been easy for us to do that. And just to go back a little bit, Stetson started off as a, as a stage band. We didn't even know how to make records in the beginning. Wow. We were just a band that knew how to kill shows. And then when it came down to it, people was like, oh, you should make a record. And we like, uh, 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 okay. <laughs> and we had to learn how to make records. Like we literally had to learn how to put hooks in songs, do all of that, because, you know, that's totally different than the stage. Um, but, you know, just to, just to tell you, you know, this is a tidbit. I, I teach this in my artist development class, and I give this one away for free. When we do shows, we don't think about how many songs. It's always about how many minutes you have. Always. Mm -hmm. So when you think about it as songs and how many songs you're going to get in, you're going to fudge it up some kind of way. It's either going <laughs> to be too little or too much. But when you know you got, let's just say, five minutes, I could get three songs in five minutes if I wanted to. Because <laughs> I know I got five minutes, so I know what to do within there. You know what I mean? So I think it's that. But no, I mean... 
approaching the stage, we we pretty much do it the way we've always done it. Um, the one thing about Stetsasonic that I don't know. So we started off rehearsing five nights a week. That's the way we used to do it way back in the day before records. Then when we got records and we had to go out on tour, we rehearsed until it was time to go out. And even now, for instance, this 28th show, I live in Texas, uh, Wise lives in Virginia. Um, uh, um, you know, the rest of the guys are in New York, but we fly in early to rehearse because we got to put it together. And then, you know, sometimes it's, you know, some special things that we can do, um, special people that we could bring out on stage, you know, all of that kind of stuff. That's probably a different thing than back in the day because now we do a, a part in our set where we talk about all the records that Stetsasonic are responsible for as producers. So of course we play the De La Soul, we play um, Top Billing by Milk D that I produced, stuff that Bobby mm -hmm. produced on Shaba Ranks, that kind of thing. So we is do this Giz little- still chilling? Giz is chilling, Giz is still chilling. But you know, so we can do that. Like, so when we did the Blue Note in New York, we brought Milk out. You know what I mean? Like, nice, so that nice. kind, you know, that kind of stuff. So, yeah, that kind of stuff is new, bringing stuff out. Because now we have history. So now that we have history, we can present some of that history. So that's probably the only difference in the stage show is that we have the ability now to present things that are historical, that have that have historical value. Uh, that's one more of these, uh, buddy Steve Gilmore. Gilmore gang. The, the oh, oh, that... yo, hey, Steve, man, I love the show. I've been watching <laughs> the Gilmore gang forever. Like, you guys are my favorite, always been my favorite. You know, when everybody else was doing whatever they was doing, podcasts, whatever, Gilmore gang was the only place I could get the truth about any friggin' product, um, Google Glasses, all of that stuff. You know, when you know, or I, anything that came out or was coming out or that was getting ready to happen, or even now, it's the only place I could get, I don't know, maybe I shouldn't say I make other people look bad, but for me, <laughs> it's my place to get the truth and technology. So I was like super surprised when I pulled it up one day and I seen my man Brent on there. I was like, yo, this is dope, you know what I mean? But no, nah, I love I love the Gilmore gang. I, I, I Shout out to the Gilmore gang, man. You, you guys are a big part of my life. You just don't know how good you just made me look. And, and how much you just helped me make up for something that I said to Steve. Oh, okay. <laughs> anyway, so he does have a question. Uh, do you see a crossover between tech and hip hop? I think I know the answer. Oh, I think, I mean, I, so so if you look at, I did two TEDx peach trees. Um, and um, I talk about this all the time. And actually, um, I, I, I think that I always say software programmers and I'm, I'm going to just say rappers. I, I usually say songwriters, but because we're talking about hip-hop, I'll talk about this. S software developers and rappers are almost the same person. They're like twins that were separated at birth, and then their mother brings, both moms bring them to a, um, a doctor's appointment and look and say, wow, these boys look alike. They're doing the same thing. Because developing a piece of software and writing a song is exactly the same. You, you, in your mind, you think it's going to be the biggest thing in the world. And sometimes it fails and sometimes it doesn't. And sometimes, in most cases, it blows bigger than you ever thought. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I think I, 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 I've, I've worked and I still, are, I still am working. I've worked pretty much since I've been in love with technology to be that guy, to be the conduit. Because I see things happening, right? So I see Nas with... Uh, the big investor guy name what um uh can't remember it's not coming to my head now but i see nas with him doing some things i've seen a couple of couple of little rappers doing some things with the guys that developed uh uh, uh clubhouse uh, mm, okay. um you know I've, se I've seen a couple of things happen but nothing nothing substantial to really make that kind of cross pollinization i always say technology and music um, has only only two things have advanced, which is retail, which, you know, Steve Jobs did it first with, with the iTunes thing. But now, you know, you can pretty much, you know, buy music all over Amazon, whatever. And radio, 
because Apple Music, Spotify, Pandora, all of that is like, it expands the radio thing. But all the other things that we did physically in the music industry um, has never been, di uh, di my words, has, has never been digitized. Meaning we would never say marketing and promotion in the same sentence because marketing was the, was the speak, meaning, you know, what, what's the plan? Promotion was those guys that used to have picket signs and put flyers around and go out around the beauty parlors and, 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 and barbershops. And then publicity was something else. Publicity was people that went after magazines and late night TV shows and all. None of the, 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 the mojo of the music business has been digitized. And I, you know, I've been fighting, I'm, you know, me and my man been trying to develop stuff, you know, for years and I'm still on top of it. Like, you know, um, just trying to figure that, that mix out. Cause nobody's ever done it. Like nobody has yeah. done it. Spotify, whatever, you know what I'm saying? And I know there's a, a few, cause you know, I'm always on crunch base and all that. I know it's a bunch of, you know, companies that get money in first rounds to do things in music, but it just, hasn't really worked out. We'll see where this NFT thing goes um, in terms of it. But, uh, you know, that's still more product oriented, right? And the NFT thing is kind of moving more toward like investment than it is technology, right? Um, but I, I think there's, I mean, that's a long answer to a short question, Steve, but I think there's room for it. And I think, um, I, I, you know, I hope to be the guy that at least, you know, initialize some of that stuff to work out. Because what I find with my crew, um, and that's even down to the young ones, right? They don't really know anything about technology. And then, you know, if you're a tech guy, you know, I, I, I use both. But, of course, Android is my platform of choice, right? So I've been using a OnePlus forever now. Um, but I use an iPhone. I, got, I actually got an iPhone for Clubhouse, and then I like the messaging. Because I, I could throw MP3s back and forth in the text, and I like that. But um, mm. they don't know technology. They don't know anything. They pick up their phones, and they do things. So I started years ago with an idea to do a magazine. It was a physical magazine I wanted to do called, um, um, it was called Get Your Digital On, and I ended up doing a show later on, but um, which was, you know, just the merger between those two. I wanted to do a magazine. I wanted to, my first cover, I wanted to have um, Buster Rhymes and... Um, What's the boy from uh, Perfect Circle? Uh, Maynard um, in, in, in the middle of the Central Park Lake, which most people don't know is not really high. And one had a, a Mac over his head and like gladiators. And one had a PC. Is there still a Mac versus PC war? And then the way I wanted to do it was you got all these entertainers in the magazine and you're doing these interviews, but all the sidebars are technology, right? So all the sidebars are about what phone they use and how they use their email what they do and then it was a then it would end up being a place for technology companies like apple and all the rest of them to advertise but still use celebrity face on it and i i mean i i think that there's so much room i did do a show called get your digital on i mean i did 12 episodes of it never really went anywhere but it's sitting on my youtube channel but you know i i i, I look to even bring that back because i you know it's just me presenting technology but presenting it in like our way because rappers, musicians, they don't know. This might be this many musicians that know something about technology, but they don't know. They they don't know what's coming next. They don't know what's happening. They have no idea. They don't know the difference between peer-to-peer -to -peer torrent. Nothing. They don't know. They just don't know. And I mean, granted, it's not their world, so maybe they don't need to know. But I do think that there needs to be a faction of them to know in order for us to kind of move forward. Because we could really, really move forward if some musicians got involved in some of the things that's happening with music and technology. Because some of the things that's happening with music and technology, these people ain't musicians. They might have played the drum in a high school band or something. But they're not really <laughs> people that's been out there. So they don't know. So, you know, you're dealing with that. And they, you know, so right now it's just a product thing. And I get it. Like any tech company that's able to use it as a product, you know, do your thing. Because, I mean, wh who else is going to do it? Nobody else is going to do it. These guys don't see that. They can't see the light at the end. I've been with so many star. I've worked with so many startups that's tried to do things. I've worked with startups. Remember, I worked with a startup called Derby Wire that was trying to explain to people 
that when you give your mute, like when you put your music on a Facebook platform or whatever, that they, you know, they own it. Basically, that was what all that stuff was that you said okay to. You know what I mean? And they, you know, literally your pictures can be in an essence ad tomorrow or in a a downy ad tomorrow, and you can't even you could try to sue, but you can, you really can't because you you know the terms of agreement you you already said okay and you didn't read anything. And so, you know, this girl who was putting it together and she had a little bit of seed money who was trying to explain to them, you know, how they can own their own stuff. But they, I mean, they just don't know. I mean, we that thing is I don't know how many years out, Steve, but it's it's some years out for that to really be understood. Because if we understood technology, we would all boycott fucking spotify and that's just true like i mean it's just retarded that back in the day you sell a million records you make over a million dollars you you do a million streams on spotify right now you make four thousand dollars that's retarded mm. like that's retarded but we don't know anything so of course you know now it's about running up the streams because that's what somebody told you i could go on and on oh, man this is this is really great i'm so the way I kind of see it, and I want to you know, get your take on this. You mentioned that you know, producing you know, uh, a record, at least creating it from a technology standpoint, is pretty easy compared to right. back in the day. Mm-hmm. And back in the day, you guys, I mean, you learn the the ins and outs of you know produ- producing and creating, you know, the hard way. I mean, you actually right. you know had to you know go through certain steps in order to come up with the wealth of knowledge that you have and be able to produce and rap and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> right. Right. A lot of, uh, you know, the technology that is around today has kind of shielded folks from getting that experience and, and going through the kind of the, the training that right. you did in order to be able to create. Now right. these folks, you know, you could almost say, you know, push a button almost and, almost. and you, Almost. So it seems like, uh, you know, the vast majority of people out there today, I'm not and I'm not going to say them all, be, uh, all because there are some folks who are, who are actually craftspeople who right. are still digging into lyrics and looking at how things were produced and created and are getting their hands dirty and not just relying on, you know, uh, you know, a, hitting a couple of buttons and some right. tracks show up. Do you think that because of the ease of production that instead of focusing their efforts on the craft of creating music, they're almost focused on the craft of branding and promotion. Because oh, that's, absolutely, that's, that's, that's absolutely true. What you're talking about is the, what I, what I describe as the making of a masterpiece, right? So, you know, you t- look at Dr. Dre's chronic, or you look at public enemy, it takes a nation of millions to hold us back, or you look at Stetsasonic in full gear. This was all the making of, of a masterpiece, right? So it's all trial, error, figuring out sounds, getting in, you know, even if you get in features, you know, how you fit those features in. We're recording on two-inch tape, so that's a whole nother thing, right? Recording on two-inch tape versus this digital recording that we do now in DAWs, totally different thing. So that being almost extinct, it's not totally extinct, the concept of making a masterpiece, but that being almost extinct, it does make people concentrate more on branding. It's the, it's the, it's what MySpace introduced, which, you know, was, you know, which I always tell people I want to build a platform, but if MySpace would have did what they were supposed to do, I'd just be asking for a job over there. Cause that was the best thing <laughs> in the world. Right. I mean, th- where could you go and you in San Francisco and you say, I need a flute player. You could go right to MySpace, find the person, and there was a music player on the page where you could hear how he played. Mm. But I always say MySpace was a music platform pretending to be a social network and got shot in the foot by, you know, 15-year-olds showing their body in the back room, right? So, I mean, if, it, if, if they would have just stayed music, it would have been there. But um, it's, it's hard. It's, it, it's a hard sell to some of the newer artists to say, hey, you know, you should take a little bit more time to craft this thing. You should think about it a little bit more. This doesn't necessarily have to be an electronic drum. We could bring in a, a drummer here, or you can write the bass line on the keyboard, 
but um, you know, let's bring a bass player in later to play it, you know, the way a bass player would. Some of it will be as stiff as you need it, but then they may be able to, you know, move it around. So that 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 part is 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 very difficult to explain to young people. However, the proof is in the pudding in terms of who puts in the work and who doesn't, because uh, those guys could throw out all those little tinny, trinkety kind of music they want, but then J. Cole drops and then everything gets silent. And same thing when Kendrick is gonna come, it's, everything's gonna get silent. Same thing with Beyonce, same thing with Jay-Z, because they're not holding back and they're still going in big rooms and making it. And so what's happening now is that it seems like the superstars are still, or who we know as superstars nowadays, are still working on you know, crafting what they do, it, there's just a lot more room entry level for people to kind of get in. Miley Cyrus is still going in a big studio. Every country Western, Western artist is still going in a big studio. So um, that hasn't really changed. Um, what has changed is that that lower level of people that probably most of it is good, Brent. Most of it is good. Because those are people who probably at any time would never had a shot. They living in Kansas, but in the back. You know what I mean? And nobody would have ever saw nothing they did. And now they right. can actually play a guitar, get on YouTube, you know, maybe write a, a really decent song and either get picked up by someone else or somebody says, hey, man, these, you know, these guys. So that part, I think, is is pretty good. Um but I mean, you know, we just got to go through the motion, right? I mean, Mercedes got to go through making plastic now. I mean, you know, you go buy an old 300 Mercedes and all of the, the dash and stuff is wood. But if you buy E300 now, it's all plastic. They got to go through. We got to go through whatever modern modernism does. We don't really have any ways around it. I don't, I don't mm -hmm. think because I think that's, that's evolution. That's just the way things happen. So we got to go through it. You know, that's that argument that people have now. You know, could could these guys stand up against Chamberlain? Could these guys stand up against Dr. J? You know, mm -hmm. I mean, maybe, maybe not. But the point of the matter is that basketball is what it is today. And this is what we have to deal with. Because you never yes. thought you would get a championship with the Suns and the Bucks. I just had to say. <laughs> All right, one one last question. You you told me before we started live streaming that 1988 was the best year for hip hop. Mm -hmm. Why why was that? I just think sonically, it, it it culminated everything. I think 86 was great. You know, that's when we saw the introduction to Salt and Pepper and a few other people. And then 87 was really that it was almost the year Eric B and Rakim. But by the time 88 came, we had all come to the conclusion of knowing how to make records like so if you think about it public enemy had a first album and yo bum rushed the show and i'll just use us too um public enemy had a, a first album and yo bum rushed the show Sonic had a first album and on fire great records and for some purists those are the best records in the world they still take those records over anything else we made but by the time 88 came around we understood more things about the studio. We had been on the road at least for a trial run. For us in Public Enemy, it was more than a trial run because LL Cool J took us out. So we went on the Def Jam tour. Um, you know, we just learned and, 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 and kind of got our footing in the music business, kind of like what we were going to be as recording artists. So by the time we all came around, most of us, and made those sophomore records, those records were perfect and perfect plus because sonically we knew where it was at. And so the Sonics, I don't know if any year could even compete with the Sonics of 88 because, I mean, let's face it, Puffy with Bad Boy makes good records, but for the most part, they're loud, right? So they might not be as good as they are loud because by that time they figured out how to turn volume up in the mastering studio. But as good as those Biggie records sound, if you put it up against a public enemy track, it's not going to fare off sonically. It's still, the public enemy track is still going to eat it. 
because we got our groove then. And then I think from there on, it just it just went out. But I just feel like we got such a groove then. And then here's the other part about 88. When it's, when something is, and, and software engineers can identify with this. When something is planned and experimental, that's what makes it super dope. So it's something I talk about when I do my speaking engagements. I always tell people, look for the space that's not there. So when something is planned, yeah, we're going to make it, but then we leave in room. And that was, I think, 88 was the year of that, right? Of we're going to make this record, but we're going to leave room for what it could be just in case. And I think that, say, you know, in, in the, you know, especially 90s, 2000s, you know, everything that they made, oh, this is it. You know, this, this is it. This, you know, we make it, that's it. You know, there's no space for the thing that's not there. This is what it is. The marketing machines got a hold and a whiff of what hip hop could be, you know, that's when you start seeing things like the Aflac duck and all of that stuff rapping. So that turns into something different. But 88 was ex it was as experimental as it was planned. And that's why I say it's the greatest year in hip hop. Hey, I, I can't argue with that at all. I'm thinking of uh, you know, uh Night of the Living Bases and yeah. Crazy. Did you really tell Chuck that you knew a brother that stayed in the street? I did, and we never, and we never to this day, we never reveal who that person was. Oh. But yeah, I did tell him. So, so this is what happened when we went on tour. We went on the um the Def Jam tour, which was headlined by LL Cool J and Houdini. Um, God bless the dead ecstasy, right? And um, um, on that tour was a whole bunch of people. So it was those two at the top. Then in the middle. You had Dougie Fresh and Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince. So Doug wow. would come on on the weekends, but Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince was with us the whole time. So that's where me and Will Smith got cool. Then the next tier of it was Eric B and Rakim pretty much by themselves because of their mm. sound, right? Mm -hmm. And then the two opening bands was Stetsasonic and Public Enemy. Every mm. single one of those bands had a tour bus of their own. Stetson Sonic and Public Enemy, which is the two biggest groups on the tour, share the tour bus. <laughs> what? But really? <laughs> but but Chuck D says this very eloquently. Out of that bus came three of the dopest records that you ever heard. In full gear by Stetson Sonic. It takes a nation of millions to hold us back by Public Enemy. And and Three Feet High and Rising by De La Soul because oh, Paul was in the right. back because Paul was in the back writing that record the whole tour. Jesus, the whole tour he's writing. He's writing the record, hmm. and that was eighty eight. That, that was that was right before eighty eight, and that's why that's why those records came out in eighty eight because we were hmm. on tour from eighty seven through I mean from eighty six throughout eighty seven. And so we just, you know, we just, it was learning, man. You know, it was a, it was a learning, learning experience. So by the time we all kind of sh shed our 88 feathers, man, it was just, the sounds were just yeah. crazy. I don't, I don't see that ever being replicated because you, you, you're talking about right as you guys are taking off and all of those bands together. Right. I mean, it's not like, uh, you know, an oldies tour. Yeah, no, it's not. It's and it's like the same thing I say about classic hip hop now. People say, you know, because, yeah. you know, I've been on this real rant about, you know, my peers making new records, right? And mm -hmm. people say, hey, why don't they? Are they scared and all that? I say, well, I can't answer those questions. But one thing I can't answer is that we really had each other in the very beginning. We all were New Yorkers. And it, you were going to see somebody somewhere. And then we toured together. You know, so you were going to be at the Latin Quarter and you was going to see somebody. You was going to be at the rooftop. You was going to see somebody and hear something that they did. i never forget when I produced Top Villain for the Audio 2. Eric Sermon from EPMD looked at me in my face one day at a club. And so I think it was the rooftop, too. He said, Daddy-O, you beat us on the single, but we're going to bust your ass with the album. <laughs> and he was right. 
Because that first, that strictly oh, business is strictly ridiculous. Bis- oh. It's ridiculous. So he's hey, like, look. you got us on a single, daddy but we're going to kill you on the album. But that when was heard, the feeling. What I heard, yeah, when I heard the Steve Miller, crazy. I was like, damn. Crazy. <laughs> I don't need to hear much more. <laughs> crazy. So, you know what I'm saying? But th- so that's what really, you know what I mean? That's what really made it. I mean, in, in biblical terms, they say iron shoppers, iron. That, you know, we we really were together enough to do that. And now when it when we if we even think about a resurgence of classic hip hop, you know, Kane's got to come out of North Carolina to do that. Daddy's got to come out of Houston to do that. And Jalil's now got to come if he does it at all, got to come out of Atlanta to do that. And you know what I'm saying? So we're not together as much. So, you know, you 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 know, that's why I say to my peers you got to listen to the music that's out because you don't have the same ability um, or liberties that we had in the past of being amongst people that were making records. You might have been able to hear somebody's record before it came out. You don't have that. You don't have that. That that that, that it's not there anymore. So you got to listen to you know Thursday night come around. Most of the time Thursday nights I'm staying up for what drops at twelve o'clock just to hear it, especially if it's something important. If it's Gucci man or if I mean something that that's going to make a little bit of noise, I'm up to listen because I just want to see what it is. It's not even my space in particularly as being a classic hip hop rapper. It's not even my space, but I need to know because I still rap what's going on. And that keeps me sharp. Well, I'll tell you this, man, I think uh, it's a testament to your real passion that hasn't died. Uh, I mean, because there are folks, like you said, that, you know, they, they kind of like to concentrate on their era. Yeah. But it's obvious that you don't stay in your era. You no, I mean, I got, I got to make, I got to make good sets of Sonic Daddy O records for 21 and 22. And, um, and, you know, I got to see what everybody else is doing. Like I, I, I listened last night, um. I, I, it's not out yet. I looked for it on Apple Music. It wasn't there. But Fat Joe, Remy Ma, and the kid, the, the kid Dre, um, not Dr. Dre, the, the producer, but Dre from Cool and Dre um, in Florida got a new record out called We Back Outside, or they putting it out. And they used them. They used that Frankie Beverly before I let go. And the way they did it is hot. It's mm. hot. <laughs> And it's a and it's a proof because I keep telling people, hip hop was two turntables and a microphone. We went out in the street with equipment, a bunch of it, plugged into the street lamps in New York City to get electric electricity, and we rapped on top of records that was already made. And that's what makes a beautiful hip hop song. What makes a beautiful hip hop song is is the sample. It's not no sampling that makes a great hip hop song. It right. is the sample. It's the sampling. We, we got to be on top of a Frankie Beverly thing because those guys are making um, those guys, you know, in terms of the way they made record, we're never going to be Stevie Wonder. I'm sorry. We're not. <laughs> sorry. We're never going to be Mar- Marvin Gaye. We're never going to be Al Green. I'm sorry. We're not. <laughs> we're never going to be a Steve Miller band. I'm sorry. We're not. But what we can do is take a Steve Miller band record and rap on top of it. And that is a new kind of creation in terms of what it is. But now you got is <laughs> a, a cheap part of hip hop. Now you got all the work the Steve Miller band did as your music, <laughs> <laughs> and you just rapping. You know what I mean? But what mm-hmm. makes a good rap song, man, is always going to be a sample. I don't care what nobody says. It's always going to be a sample. I talked to Flash the other day. He told me how he created this thing. Me and my man when we left, I'm like, man, why didn't we take that? Because he. He did it through science and mathematics. Don't worry. There's a there's a YouTube video out where he it's like an hour long video of him literally showing you crazy how he did it. The thought processes that went into crazy, it, yo. how he built the technology to crazy, do it. Yo. It was beautiful to watch. Yeah. And I mean, you know, he's man, I'm telling you. So so, you know, but that is that's it. Right. It's it's a composition. I've always said we we just the best collage in the world, hip hop. It's just the best collage, and that's what we have to do. You know, we still got to do that. I, I, I mean, I know some a lot of guys make stuff from scratch nowadays, and I 
because I work for record companies, I know how that happened. A lot of people got sued for samples that they didn't clear. So record mm-hmm. companies just got to a point, man, I'm not going through these lawsuits no more. Don't bring me no records with samples. But then that made for worse mm-hmm. music. Mm-hmm. So if you want to know why- took the, the heart, took the heart yeah, out of it, right? It mm-hmm. did. It did, because it's, it's rap without the Steve Miller band. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? How do you rap without Monto Santa Maria, or, or how do you rap without the staple singles up underneath? Like, you know, Bob you James, need, you know. Bob James, you need that up underneath. Well, now you got that up underneath you, you going crazy. <laughs> man, this has been an awesome conversation. I, Thank I you, sir. I longer than I was expected, but. No, I, it's I, all this, good, man. It's all good. It's it, all good. Tell people where they could learn more about your some of the upcoming so, things. The one thing I do like is people to go to my band camp, which is professordaddy.bandcamp.com. The whole catalog is up there. Um, I'm making a lot of great stuff. And then I'm just Professor Daddio all over the internet, except I'm Glenn K. Bolton on, on LinkedIn. <laughs> but I'm Professor just, da- Daddio everywhere. I just else. thought it was really cool that you dropped the this little sneak peek on LinkedIn, of because uh, I was looking, I, I went to LinkedIn, I heard, I was like, I wonder if this is on his YouTube channel. I haven't seen right. it anywhere else. No, it's not, it's no, it's, it's nowhere else. I did do it on, I did put it out on Instagram as well. What I, what happened with me and LinkedIn was, I always used to use LinkedIn just for professional stuff. And, you know, I got a little tech company on the side and we train doctors and stuff and technology. And I was just doing that. But I was like, you know what? A lot of people who like what we do are sitting there on LinkedIn and I don't have to feel bad about it. You know, I don't have to feel bad about my my physical kind of job resume being on LinkedIn and my music is still me. So um no, I, I think know, it's I great. Yeah. <laughs> I, it's I appreciate great. that, bro. Absolutely. All right, man. Well, I know you got things to do and I just thank you once again for spending this time cuz this has been fascinating. I, I, thank you, this sir. This conversation has been awesome. And once again, uh, I'll be back tomorrow. I'm going to be having another great conversation. Uh, I, somebody, it sounds like there's a race going on behind you right now. Yeah, it's like <laughs> wherever I'm sitting, these young boys are doing some, they got these souped up cars and they're going back and forth. <laughs> well, just keep, make sure they keep going back and forth and don't get too close to you. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> All right, sir. You have a great one. And All I right. You see too, brother. Tomorrow. I, I appreciate it, man. I appreciate it. Take care, man. All right.